Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. What that meant is there's going to be greater impact changed lives all around the world. What was the purpose? To expand the kingdom of God. Because when you expand the kingdom of God, you decrease the kingdom of Satan. You're either in one or the other. So when you expand the kingdom of God, you decrease the kingdom of Satan all around the world. Jesus did many amazing things. The Gospel of John says that all the books in the world couldn't have held the stories of everything that Jesus did when he was here on the earth. Pastor Mark will be teaching about Jesus' promise to his disciples that they would do greater things than he did. You might think, how could Christ followers today do greater things than Jesus did? Well, Pastor Mark will be explaining that statement, showing through scripture and history how Jesus' followers have fulfilled that statement, and how you yourself can participate in that as well. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in Luke chapter 9 as he continues his message, Sent Out Disciples, Greater Impact. Verse 6 says, they went out and they preached the gospel, they healed the sick, they cast out demons, they did it. When that happened for these disciples with Jesus not being there, what did it teach them? Here's the key for you. Here's what it taught them. There was greater power. It wasn't their power. They learned that God's power was greater than Satan's power. Now, that's a fact everywhere. People that don't have a lot of church background and Bible background, and that's pretty normal today because people don't read the Bible. So they think this battle between God and Satan, they probably heard of that. They think that Satan is equal to God. Well, no, Satan isn't equal to God. Satan's a created being. So he is not equal to God. So here's 1 John 4, 4, a verse you should circle in your Bible and go to later. Because when you get in this battle for your life, or your children, or for a disease, or a demon, possession kind of a thing, and a person that isn't a believer, or for your marriage, or whatever. You, dear children, are from God. John's writing to Christians. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you, God, is greater, say with me, is greater, is greater than the one who is in the world who's in the world, who controls the world, Satan. So these disciples knew it was God's power and knew it was God's story that opened spiritual eyes, healed the sick, cast out demons. Let me give you an example. On Tuesday night, 
when the elders pray. It isn't the elders' power. It isn't their elders' title. It's the power of God and the authority of God and the faith of the elders. They're no different than you. By the way, you can lay your hand on a sick person and pray for them in the power, if you're a Christian, in the power and authority of Jesus. Now, do we understand why when we do that, everybody isn't healed? No, we do not understand that. But see, we live in a world that's cursed by sin. We sang a song, no weeping, no pain, no sorrow. I have good news for you. That day's coming. I have bad news for you. It won't come till you die and go to heaven. Then there is none. But right now, we're in this battle. And we don't understand it totally. But whenever you think that Satan has defeated you, no, he hasn't. Because God is absolutely greater. Now, look at verse 10. And this is important. Some of you don't like, if I say the word to you, accountability, you understand that at work. You understood that in school when you signed up for your first English class and English 101, and the professor said there's going to be a midterm, then a final, and you got to write three papers. You understood that. You're going to get through the course. You're going to do what he said. But when we get into church and we come with God, we don't like the word accountability. But notice what happened in verse 10. When the apostles returned, when they finished their trip and they came back to Jesus, look what they did. They reported to Jesus what they had done. The disciples had to report to Jesus how well the mission went. You see, God is interested in what we do for him. If you're a Christian, you're a servant first, but you're also a steward. You're a servant, but you're a steward. And you and I are going to give an account of how we use our time and our talents and our opportunities and our resources, our spiritual gifts, our money, our possessions at the judgment seat of Christ. Remember, we were talking about if a disciple is doing what they should be doing, growing, there's going to be fruit and more fruit and much fruit. That's a progression that should be growing. Now, where is that accountability going to happen? Well, here it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Notice what it says. Speaking of Christians only, unbelievers go to a different judgment. This judgment is not about whether you are saved or not. This judgment is done in heaven, so the only way you can get to heaven is be saved. So it has nothing to do with you being saved or your sin nature and the sins that have already been forgiven. For we must all appear, how many? How many? So does that include you if you're a Christian? Pastor Mark, are you telling me I'm going to be accountable to God? Say yes. Well, that's not a bad thing because there's going to be crowns given. You're going, to be a, you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one, Pastor Mark, can we go as a home group together? <laughs> Could I stand next to you? No, only if I can stand next to Billy Graham. <laughs> well, then, okay, I'll take that too. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body. How many of you looking at me are in your body. Let me see. Anybody out of body experience? Anybody on drugs? We need to deliver you? No? Okay. So you're in your body. So what I do in my body, I'm going to be judged for. Look at the end there. Whether, say it with me, whether good or, or bad. Really? Really? So here's what you want to write. 
the disciples understood this. Greater accountability. They had to report to Jesus. The necessity of evaluating our daily lives. I try to do that often, but I try to do it in my quiet time. That's why my first statement on my sheet of paper is yesterday. We're together? Okay. Accountable. Now understand, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because it keeps us growing and maturing. And it keeps us, as the body says, to do everything with what? Excellence. So the disciples had to come back, and they had to do all of this, and it was great. When I got this testimony the other day from someone in our body, I couldn't wait to read it to my wife. It is unbelievable. Now, remember, we challenged you. God says, bring your tithes, 10% of your money off the top. You can live on 90% better than you can ever live on 100%. Just trust me. Prove me. And so we told you, for the next 10 weeks, do it. And lots of you started doing it. Let me read this testimony to you. I've changed the names and stuff so you can't figure out who it is. You can't go, oh, you can't do that. Pastor Mark, I have tithed on and off in various churches in the past. Usually when I wrote out the check, I would always be thinking, what can I use this money for? None of you have ever done that, so it's okay. We are one of many families that are facing foreclosure. And I absolutely could not part with my money. With the sale date looming, how could I possibly part with any money? But I took your God's challenge to tithe and did it with a smile and a happy heart, knowing it was the right thing to do. So first thing, she got it right. She did because she wanted to, not because she had to. I dropped my check into the bag on Wednesday, Wednesday. That Friday, two days later, I got a call from a relative who, because of a death in the family, wanted to give her car away to me free and clear. You say, well, God's a little slow. I'll take two days, wouldn't you? (laughs) It took me a moment to wrap my brain around that kind of gesture, but only seconds to know in my heart, now listen, This is the exciting part. I'm excited. Only seconds to know in my heart what to do with my existing vehicle. I was not to sell it for the money that I needed. I was to give it to a single mom I know who had two young children. She had lost her vehicle, and it was difficult to find transportation to work and go to college. When I called her to tell her that I was giving her my car, she cried on the phone in disbelief. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who told her when that happened, that she was getting another car from this individual? Who reminded her of this single mom? Single mom didn't call and say, did you get your car yet? Did you get your car yet? It was God. So she's hearing from who? God, not just to give, but what? To give away. Listen to her next statement. I know all of this was not about me receiving a new vehicle. It was about God enabling me to give her something she needed. You won't hear that prosperity stuff much. See, when God gives us, we just bless others. Now listen. One week later, I received a $100 credit from a store, which enabled me through unusual circumstance to select some additional angels from our angel tree at the church. In fact, six angels to give away from God's generosity to us. Now, this is a person who's what? Home 
is about to be lost. No extra money, but notice what she's discovered. The gift of what? Generosity. I'm not through. Oh, by the way, the sale date for the house, they were going to lose it and have to move out, rent someplace, for the house was scheduled on 11-28. Two days before, on Monday, 11-26, we received news that the court had canceled it, and they gave us one more year to celebrate Christmas and the next year in our house. Uh, do you think you can prove God? Now, why did I tell you that? Because some of you still don't believe it. It isn't about her getting stuff. It's honoring God with what he said to do. You couldn't have arranged those things. But God can. See, part of you is your money. We're not after your money. I already told you. We don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. But you need to learn to give. Because you'll be able to bless yourself and others. Now, look at verse 10 again. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they did. How do you think they reported that to Jesus? Well, let's see, we had 43 people come to the Lord, and Peter was the guy that was out there really doing it, and there's a couple demons ran out, and we just scared them out of their minds, and in the name of Jesus got out of there. People got sick. In fact, let, Peter practiced his shadow to see if that would work, as it would happen later. We're pretty good. We pass, eh, Jesus? I don't think so. I want you to write this next statement. Here's what they discovered, greater humility. When they look back at what happened, you take God's power and authority out of the equation, they have nothing to report. You take God out of your life, you have nothing to offer anyone spiritually. Look back at your life. God hates pride. He loves humility. Lots of times people talk to me about how and what and what God's done and all that stuff. I'm just humbled. I'm always humbled because I know me. You take God out of all this, forget it. All of our lives, all the things that God's doing on our campuses. So understand. Well, some of you might be saying right now that Pastor Mark, those are some pretty really good things to learn. But what about today? We're like not the 12 disciples. What are we supposed to do with all the searching and hurting people that are around here? I mean, we're 2,000 years since this happened. Well, at the end of Jesus' ministry, he commissioned, you know, some people like to hoard power and authority. They don't like to delegate it out. That was not the purpose of Jesus. When Jesus came, his whole goal was to delegate that out. So at the, at the end of Jesus' ministry, he commissioned these 12 disciples, and he sent them into the world in the kingdom of God. And that commissioning that we're going to see was for them, but it's for you, and it's for me. And it's in four different passages, so I want you to turn to those four passages. We'll go through them quickly. So let's turn to John, book of John. You're just one book more to go to the right. John 14, verse 12. Now, what I'm saying to you is this, that as a Christian, you're sent out. As a disciple, you, every single one of you, 
just like me, are sent out. We're sent out, and we have to have the same thing the disciples did. We have to have God's power and God's authority. But when does that come, and how do we get it, and how do we use it? We begin. Verse 12, John 14, 12. I tell you the truth, Jesus speaking to his disciples before he goes to the cross, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even, say it with me, greater things than these, the things they'd been watching. Because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Let me just take a a moment to digress about that last sentence. That doesn't mean whatever you want, you just ask God for and he'll do it since you're a Christian. That turns God into a heavenly Santa Claus. That's not him at all. I will do whatever you ask in my name. When you ask in the name, it represented the character of that person. So I would never ask for something that I knew would be out of the will of God. So understand, that's not a free blank check. It's the will of God in my life. Now, let's pick apart that verse just a little bit. Anyone who has what? Faith in me. So this verse is for anyone who has faith in Jesus. How many of you have faith in Jesus? The rest of you aren't Christians then. Because you had to have faith to believe that Jesus was your Savior, correct? So I have saving faith, but I also have a gift of faith to believe. We learn what faith is. Faith is simply believing that what God promised, He will do. That's all through the Word of God. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. I believe that. I have faith. So Jesus said, anyone who has faith, and this is where some of you are going to go like, Okay, that's broader than the 12 disciples. Hello. That's every Christian in all time. If you have faith in him, notice, that simply means this is for you and for me. Then because of this, there's going to be, notice, you will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things. Write these four things down. Just a little note like this. Number of disciples is greater. I'll explain them in a moment. Number of converts is greater. Greater time period and greater in scope and distance. So I'll repeat them as I explain them. It is not greater in the kind of ministry that Jesus did. You can't get any greater than raising from the dead. Okay, so it's not like we're going to do stuff that Jesus didn't do. No. But it's greater in the number of disciples. When Jesus was here on earth, he was fully God and fully man. So how many places could he be at one time? Tell me. One. Today, very different. Anywhere, same time, because he's back in heaven. But as a man, he can only be in one place at one time. So he's speaking to 12 disciples. Pretty soon they'd be scattered where? All over. Think about where you are. How many of you are Christians, disciples? Thousands of you that are listening to me right now. So there's way more of you. There's way more of you than one Jesus. 
So if you go out with the message and the power and the authority, obviously there's going to be a greater impact. And that brings the second one I told you, greater in number of converts. Jesus was the master preacher, the master of everything. He's our role model. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached his first sermon. How many came to Christ? 3,000. We don't know that if 3,000 ever came to Christ when Jesus taught. How about Billy Graham? Hundreds of thousands of people. So see, that's because there's more people, more, second, third thing, greater, greater not only in disciples, greater in number of converts, but greater in time. Jesus' ministry was how many years? Three and a half. How many of you have been saved more than three and a half years? Let me see your hand. Okay. So every day that goes beyond that, you're here greater time. More opportunities, more converts, all kinds of neat stuff. So he was just explaining to us as he delegated this out, that's what his whole plan was. Now, last is greater in scope and distance. When Jesus was here on the earth, other than one as a baby to Egypt and one other time just a little out of Israel at the north, he spent his whole time in the little teeny nation of Israel the size of New Jersey. That's where he lived. That's where he ministered. Now, what about us today? (laughs) All over the place. All over the world. So here's what I want you to write. What that meant is there's going to be greater impact. Change lives all around the world. What was the purpose? To expand the kingdom of God. Because when you expand the kingdom of God, you decrease the kingdom of Satan. You're either in one or the other. So when you expand the kingdom of God, you decrease the kingdom of Satan all around the world. Now, let me show you. And we're just a small camp. I mean, you know, we're 10,000 people. We're one of the large churches in the United States. Big deal. It's nothing. I was talking to somebody today, church in India that I'll be going to in the fall. They're building a new sanctuary. It sees 50,000 people. Their first service starts at 5 a.m. in the morning. I'm waiting until they get their new sanctuary, so it will be later than 5 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) So what are we seeing as you look at this through technology? We're seeing the fulfillment of the very verse you read. See, it's not like, wow, they're watching, Pastor Mark. No, they're watching and getting saved. And they're being discipled. Somebody stopped me today. I did a funeral today. At the end, the person said, we're people that watch you every week out of state. Good to see you in person. I said, I am real. And they didn't say you're short. They just were kind. (laughs) Fine. Hush up. All right. Thanks for joining Pastor Mark today on Lessons for Living. If you'd like to hear more from this study, you can find additional teachings online now at calvaryccm.com. We know that this time in our world is uncertain, but one truth remains steadfast. God is in control. During this season, we encourage you to spend time in the Word, in prayer, and in the presence of your Creator. As with many churches across our nation, Pastor Mark and the Calvary Chapel Melbourne community are holding church online. The church isn't the building, it's the people who despite whatever obstacles are in their way, 
they still worship Jesus and praise His name. We'd love for you to join us. Visit calvaryccm.com live or join us over on Facebook, YouTube, or Roku. We'll be having services on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. We look forward to worshiping with you in this way until we can be gathered together as the body once again. We also know how essential prayer is during this time, and we want you to know we're constantly lifting our listeners up to the Lord. Is there anything specific we can be praying about for you? Let us know by visiting our contact page at calvaryccm.com. And would you do the same for us? Please keep Pastor Mark and our church staff in your prayers, along with our nation's leaders and those affected by this virus. Thank you for praying. If you feel led to support Lessons for Living financially during this time, we would be very grateful. You can donate online at calvaryccm.com. That's all for today. Join us again for another edition of Lessons for Living. in a herd